0: From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you the Unconquered Podcast. And it's been a little bit since the last episode. Apologies for that, everybody. I, uh, I intended to get actually two out or three out over the last uh, last two weeks, but it has been an extremely difficult two weeks in the Staples household. Uh, some unforeseen things happened that ultimately kept me from being able to record. So this is the first I'm going to be able to get out anything since uh, the cancellation of the wake forest game and also the early signing day. So th- this episode, we're going to spend most of this episode talking about these new arrivals, the new additions that are coming in for the 2021 season. And this first segment I'm going to spend on the transfers because you don't really expect and, and shouldn't expect much contribution from any of the freshmen from the 2021 class. Don't, don't expect a whole lot of that again, as we've talked about on this, on this show ad nauseum over over the years you recruit for two years from now three years from now if you're expecting your uh your freshmen to come in and make an instant impact then that means either you're really bad or those freshmen are super elite and as florida state's not very good but they're, but they're still not landing the kind of instant impact freshmen uh, across the board that you would expect to have immediate impact uh, those those kind of elite guys are are pretty rare. So uh, that said, they have landed some instant impact upgrades in the transfer portal. There is no question about that. Some guys that I'll be honest, I, I've been I, a little surprised by how well they've been able to manage the the transfer portal and who they've been able to attract. Starting with KZ Milton or Mackenzie Milton, the the quarterback transfer from UCF. And really, the the guy who the moment he decided to sign on with Mike Norvell, that was a I think that that has that has marked a noticeable momentum change, momentum shift in recruiting and in just in how Florida State seems to be viewed among other transfers and also to some degree among a a variety of recruits. Milton is a guy that gives them instant credibility that you talk about a guy buying into Norvell and a guy that, I mean, as much as we all laugh about UCF being national champs, I mean, this is a, this is a national championship kind of quarterback in the sense that, look, he, he quarterbacked a a football team that went unbeaten, that, that won a major bowl game that beat Auburn in that, uh, in that bowl game. You're talking about a guy that, that knows how to win that has that checks all the boxes as a leader all of those things and did it at a very very high level and you know that UCF team had pretty good argument to make the playoff that year so you're talking about a quarterback that took his program to that level and a guy that you talk to people from within that program and they talk about him as yeah that's the guy that took us to that level this is not a a matter of like oh he was just a Uh, He was just a guy on those teams. No, that was the leader. That was the guy who he was the guy. He was the guy that 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 was instrumental in that program taking the leap. Now, he, of course, is leaving UCF because ultimately the guy they have there now, Gabriel, is going to be the guy next year. And Milton recognized that moving forward. He wasn't going to win that job. So. The combination of those things should kind of tell you a little bit about how to think about Milton coming in. You're talking about a guy that brings a lot of the intangibles, a lot of the things that Florida State has lacked in that quarterback room. He's got all of them on the intangible side, all of them, all of the things that that Florida State has needed to have in terms of leadership, in terms of somebody to be a coach on the field, somebody to help that that team be player led in the offseason and player led. During the season, all of a sudden you've got that guy, but he's also at this stage if he was significantly better than gabriel the the guy at, at currently at UCF then he'd be starting next year so that should give a bit of a sense of, of of sort of where where he stands in terms of the the quarterback the level of player that he he is and can be. Now there's a, a pro football focus article from back in 2018 that is worth the look and I'll 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 post a link to it in the show notes but it's worth a look because they actually are talking about how in the 2017 season this was written in the in the the offseason preceding 2018 it's talking about how Milton played in the prior year and it's basically saying look he he had Heisman level production not just in the, the base level stats, but also in pro football focuses own metrics, which are based on more uh, more looking at film grades and looking at trying to trying to detach his production from, say, what receivers do. You know, you get less credit in their system from throwing a two yard screen that your receiver takes 80 yards. So what they pointed out is you're talking about a guy that did a lot of damage down the field. And this is the thing I'm going to quote from this article here. He was no dink and dunk quarterback. However, as strong accuracy numbers may lead some to believe as he recorded 37 big time throws, five more than the next highest returning quarterback drew lock at 32. Obviously, he was a real threat to test defenses downfield as he also holds the nation's top returning passer rating on deep throws, th- throws of 20 plus yards. At 131.3, he completed 51 of 91 deep pass attempts for 1,812 yards and 21 touchdowns, setting the co- pro football focus college record for most deep passing yards in a season. Oh, he also fielded an, an adjusted completion percentage on deep passes of 59.3, the highest of all returning quarterbacks and the second highest in the nation, only to Baker Mayfield, the number one overall pick in the 2018 NFL draft. And he wasn't just heaving up shots and letting a talented supporting cast do their thing, he was maneuvering balls to where only his receivers could bring them in and doing so with great success. So you're talking about a guy that was able to uh, average 10.2 yards per attempt. Now, a lot of that is, is a testament to the quality of that Scott Frost offense across the board, but it doesn't work without a guy who's actually executing that. And they pointed out that Milton had a passer rating above the NCAA average in 10 of the 12 categories that they that they deal with so 20 plus yard basically you break down left middle and right and then the three levels you've got 20 plus yards 10 to nineteen yards zero to nine yards and behind the line of scrimmage so he was better than normal his accuracy ratings and everything all, all of all of those things that they that they grade he was better than the average on all of those things and the other really big and most important thing and this stood out uh, and I'll, I'll get to it in a moment this stood out to me as well, is that he was really good under pressure. He was the, uh, uh, among 2018 returning quarterbacks, he was, so this is slightly different than among all 2017 quarterbacks, but uh, in, in in their article, as they're listing it, his passer rating under pressure, 89.2, was seventh in the country. So that's, that's pretty good. And against the Blitz, he was 127.4 passer rating, which is better than what Florida States had <laughs> not under pressure quite a bit uh, in the last couple of years. So that that's a pretty good season. Now, all that said, I have the the good fortune of uh, of having all of the all 22 tape from uh, all, all of the footage from Milton's 2017 season before he shredded his knee in 2018. And. So I went back and I've, I've been taking a look at those games and, and grading him myself. And what, what do I see? That's, that's basically what I've been doing and uh, it's a bit a little up and down. So that that's been, it's been enlightening uh, to say the least. And what, what I'll say about about Milton in, in terms of what has stood out to me on the tape is that he's pretty hot and cold. He's not as consistent a thrower as I expected based on the numbers. He, there are times where he is he runs really hot and you're talking about that offense being almost untouchable. And then there were other there are other other times where he misses throws and you go, "Oh man, like how in the world did you miss that?" So, it's a little bit hot and cold. And you know, I started with the with the Auburn game. Obviously, what I wanted to see is how does he look against an SEC level defense? And to be totally honest, he was awful for 3 quarters against Auburn. He it, I'm surprised going back and looking at that game on the All-22. I'm, I'm to be honest, pretty surprised that <laughs> UCF won that game. And they won that game not because of Milton through those first three, a little bit over three quarters. I mean, it was like, you know, you could see that first, those first couple drives, he came out really nervy and, you know, didn't look as confident as, as what you'd like and missed a few throws. And, and you know, it's the sort of thing like, okay, he's got to get his feet wet. He'll clearly he'll, he'll bounce back and then you get into the second quarter. And you're like, man, he hasn't bounced back yet. He's still not looking very good. And then you get into the third quarter. And you're like, he must, this is, this must be when he turns it on. And then you get through the full third quarter and you're like, man, he still, you know, he's made a few plays now, mostly with his feet, but not a whole lot's happened. Uh, that's been positive. And then finally, you get to a couple things when the chips were down in the fourth quarter and he made plays and you go, oh, I see. But that kind of gives you again, that gives you a sense of where where things are. I mean, you're not talking about a guy that's a can't miss elite level accuracy guy all the time. Like I said, awful for three quarters versus Auburn. Then you'd put on the Memphis game against Norvell. and you, Oh, man, (laughs) this guy can play. Cause he was really good against Memphis. And so there, there are a number of things. There are times where you can see that, like the accuracy, everything's clicking and it's not about pressure. It's not about some of those things around him. Some of it just seems to be, he's one of those golfers that can, that can shoot the, the 62, 63, but also might shoot a 78. So that's something that they're going to need to work on in terms of him as a as a starter at Florida State, and I'm, I'm going to operate under the assumption that he'll be the starter. Obviously, he's going to have to win the job, and Jordan Travis is going to have something to say about that. But as a starter at Florida State, he's going to have to be overall more consistent than he was at UCF. But the ceiling that he presents is higher than than anything Florida State's had in a while. And so so that's that's the plus. And what I saw in terms of the tape stuff and I'm going to I'm going to put some stuff up on Patreon uh here just after the new year uh looking looking through some things that from his uh UCF days. But some of the stuff that stood out to me is he is good to excellent. So even when he's not at his best, even when he's down a little bit, he's still really good throwing the vertical routes and fades downfield. When he pushes the ball downfield, he does a good job. And he actually when he's, when he's playing well, he's got a little Danny Werfel in him in terms of the way, the way he throws the old fade route. You remember those old days of Werfel? Werfel did not have a, an especially strong arm, as everybody knows. But when it came to throwing vertical routes downfield, that guy was so dead on accurate and his touch and his ability to put the ball in places where only his receivers could catch it and put it in places where it became not a 50-50 ball, but you know, an 80-20 or 90-10 ball. That's the stuff that Werfel did that made him so great. There's a lot of that from Milton. He he actually his 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 overall motion and uh his his ability to throw with touch, particularly on the fade and 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 some of those uh back shoulder type throws, the touch and the creativity and the feel on those routes is first rate. And like I said, very Danny Werfel-ish. Uh and and, and and the arm strength is, is pretty comparable in that regard, too. I mean, he's not he's not a he's definitely is not carrying a howitzer around on his on his right shoulder, but he throws with enough velocity to to b- basically throw everything that Mike Norvell wants to throw in his offense. And when he's throwing downfield, he he can put some daggers in you. And that's 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 really that's really important for Norvell's offense. He wants somebody that can execute those throws and this was a major point of frustration for Norvell and the offensive staff this year is you can't not win one-on-one routes on the outside at Florida State. You have to be able to run four verts and be able to win back shoulder throws and be able to win down the field on those things. That's that's bread and butter in their offense. And if you can't do that, well, that's severely limiting to what they want to do. And Milton is a guy that can make all of those throws and make them the way that they want to make them. So so that's a plus. Now, I do think that his motion overall needs work uh and it's not that it's it's not that it's a bad motion it's that it's inconsistent, and I think that's where a lot of the accuracy and consistency came from in that twenty seventeen season and it's almost all from one thing, and that's that he tends to drop his elbow at times, and that means he'll push the ball as a thrower, which then causes the ball to sail so when you drop your elbow the it changes your release point a little bit. Costs you a little bit of, of velocity and the ball then kind of flutters and sails high. And that's where he's his misses, his big misses tend to be high. And that's not a good thing. Normally, when quarterbacks miss high, they throw more interceptions. But that's something that you can work on. That's something that you can improve. It's something you have to focus on during the offseason. It's something that even during the season, you have to keep drilling to make sure that you, it's, it's everybody has faults in as a thrower there's well maybe maybe Rod, maybe rodgers and uh and mahomes those guys don't have throwing faults but most people have faults in their motion that you just kind of have to be aware of like this is if i'm if i'm starting to go a little bit off here this is the thing i need to return to well for him it's it's dropping the elbow it's pretty simple and if if he can keep from doing that and and it's just like with golf for those of you who are golfers out there you know if you're if you're a good player You know that, oh, you know, I'm starting to starting to hook the ball a little bit today. That must mean that I'm I'm hanging back with my weight just a little bit too much. And so the club's getting out in front of me. So I'm closing down. So I need to make sure that I'm staying strong through that through my front side. You know, so you you work that, you drill that a couple times in your practice swings and all that, and you try to get control of your swing. He's a guy where it's just don't drop your elbow. If he can keep from doing that, then all of a sudden he's he's the guy that's hitting those darts in from the eight iron down and and hitting everything close. And then, you know, all of a sudden that fault comes in and he'll, you know, miss the green or whatever. But that's basically where he is. And the good thing about his motion is he gets it out really quickly. So uh, it's compact. He, He doesn't waste time with it. You know, it's not especially pretty. It's not the it's not what you would. It's not a prototype but he gets the ball out really quickly and I think throws a really catchable ball. And that's, that's another plus does a good job in the screen game as well. For the most part, there are a couple times where he made a couple decisions in the screen game to uh, put the ball up in the air and so on that I thought were those were, those had been really poor decisions in the ACC, for example, but uh, th- that's something that he'll, he'll pick up on, I think pretty quickly uh, as, as they, they work through this new context with him, but he, he has the potential to be a consistently accurate player. He's super accurate. He was super accurate at times and through whole stretches of games at UCF. And then you'd see the mechanics just kind of dip a little bit and then he'd have some of those scattershot things. So that's something to keep an eye on. That's something that I'm sure Norvell and uh, and Dilly will do a good job with. They did a good job with that with, with James Blackman, but Blackman, of course, then... Uh, wasn't really able to take the range to the course. Milton has shown that he can do that so so that's that's a real plus moving forward uh and then the the next thing is it was very clear how much his mobility and creativity on the move that was a big part of his game at UCF. He was very baker mayfieldish in terms of making plays on the move in that season and of course, after shredding his knee, I mean almost losing his leg. The question is how much of that can return. How much of that returns? How much is he going to be the mobile guy, the guy that can make plays on the run, versus being much more of a uh, pocket-bound player in uh, in 2021? And that's the unknown. That's that's unclear. But I will say this: that when teams pressured him, when he when the pocket broke down or whatever, his feel for the pocket, his sense of where guys were, and his ability to make plays with his feet. And to get out and into space and keep his eyes downfield and make plays down the field was, again, it was first rate Baker Mayfield type player on the move. And if he can have even 70 percent of what he was able to do on the move there at Florida State, then that, again, gives you a a piece that gives you some elements that you can really rely on. Now, uh, he also then is a quick decision maker and he's a tough SOB. I mean, that's those are all very important things and that's what Florida State has needed in terms of leadership and decision making and he fits very closely with what Norvell wants at the quarterback position so that's all, those are all huge positives for Milton as you as you look at the tape and as you look at what he brings to the table all right we're going to look at the next player now the 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 next transfer and this is a guy that i like everybody else over the past few weeks had heard Buzze, buzzing, a little, a little bit of smoke was out there that this might happen, that Florida State was really interested in landing this guy. But I just didn't believe they'd get him. It's one of those like, well, you know, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of programs that are going to want this guy. Is he really going to want to go to Florida State, you know, with where the program is right now? And when they actually landed him, I was surprised. It's one of, I've just, I think we're all a little bit snake bitten in terms of in terms of what to expect from the program right now, especially, I mean, you think about under the last coaching staff, I would talk, I would get stuff straight from the coaching staff of, Oh yeah, we think we're going to get this. We think we're going to get this guy. We think we can get this guy. You know, we think we're going to get him. And then that guy would inevitably almost, almost inevitably go somewhere else. And after a while, you just like, okay, you think you're going to get this guy, but I, I'm not going with that anymore. I've been burned too many times. <laughs> People are just thinking I'm 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 making stuff up, but I'm I, I'm just going to sit and wait. Well, you hear a little bit of smoke about, you know, they're really going after this guy and then they get him. I'm just not used to that at this point. And kudos to the staff for landing Jermaine Johnson, the second from Georgia. This is a natural fox, a guy who can actually play either edge for Florida State. He could play the defensive end side if if they needed him to do that. But he's really a natural fox. And that's something they have not had on the roster, really. And uh, based on UGA's internal numbers, he had five sacks. According to you know, the, the official numbers that the NCAA keeps and Pro Football Focus keeps, uh, he had four. But really, he's a, he, he again, he's a natural stand-up, outside linebacker, rush-end type guy. 6'5", about 245, 250, big-time body. Uh, you know, SEC, SEC proven, uh, you know, Alabama, Georgia type end. And of course he was at Georgia and a guy that can get after the passer. So this is a major shot in the arm for Florida state. Uh, <laughs> a guy that, that just in terms of the traits is exactly what they were hoping to get on the edge. Cause they, they really felt like they needed to improve on the edge this coming into this next year. Now, I've looked at some of the tape on him. I've not had a chance to look at as much of him as I have of KZ Milton, but there are, there are some limitations. And I I think the best way to talk about, about some of this is actually to walk through some of the pro football focus numbers here uh, to, to give you a sense of, of what Florida state's getting. Uh, So on the pro football focus side for 2020, he had a pass rush grade of 66.7, which is above average, but not great. And his overall defensive grade was 70. So, I mean, you're not talking about a guy that played elite football in 2020. To put that in perspective, Florida State's two edges uh, put up the following. Kando was a 66.2 pass rush grade, so 0.5 below what uh, Jermaine Johnson put up in 2020, and a 74.0 overall grade, which is four points higher. And then Janarius Robinson had a 72.7 pass rush grade so a good bit above that's uh, about 6 points above the uh the grade that Jermaine Johnson put up and then 65.4 overall uh, weighed down by his uh, abysmal pass uh pass coverage grade which um was yeah that was 41.3 so uh just not a good fit there but the the key here is is going to be fit but I'm going to walk you through a few more a few more numbers just to give you again a, a sense of of where he where he sits in terms of talent and and ability to to play this position on the season he had he had 94 pass rush snaps and he had 11 pressures, 4 sacks, 3 hits, 4 hurries on that. So that totals up to 11 pressures total on 94 pass rush snaps. So it means he got pressure on roughly 1 out of 8.5 pass rush snaps. And that came out to an 8.7 pass rushing productivity grade. That's what uh, a a number. That's the the number, the metric that uh, that pro football focus gave him, which was number 51 in the nation. Number 51 in the nation and eight point seven, just to put it in perspective, the tops in the nation was Nick Benito from uh, from Oklahoma at 15.0. And Georgia's top was Aziz Ajulari, who was number five in the country at 12.3. As far as I can tell, above ten is a game changer. There, Jalen Phillips from Miami was nine point four, so it gives you a, a good sense of where they're at. And again, he was at an eight point seven in terms of pass rushing pro, uh, productivity on the on the season. And you compare that to Josh Kando, who had twenty pressures on two hundred seven pass rush snaps, zero sacks, two hits, and eighteen hurries. And then had, had ultimately that amounts to those twenty pressures on two hundred seven snaps. Amount amounts to a pressure one pressure on uh, uh, every 10 pass rush snaps. So instead of out of 8.5 on every 10. So that's the difference. And then Kando was 5.2 pass rushing productivity. Good for 197th in the country. And then Robinson was 25 pressures. That was three sacks, six hits, 16 hurries and 239 pass rush snaps. And that means he got pressure in one out of 9.5 pass rush snaps and came out to about a 6.4 PRP, which is 143rd. So there's a decent difference. I mean, 8.7 versus 6.4 and 5.2. So Johnson was more productive as a pass rusher, but not by a mile, right? Marginally better than both of those guys at getting to the quarterback. What he does bring to the table, I think, is a better fit. He's a he's a nat- more natural fit, particularly as a standing edge and especially than, than Janarius was at that Fox position. So he, and he's more explosive or bursty than, than either of those guys. And it is more natural dropping in coverage, a little more fluid. So, but I think Janarius and, and Kando are a little bit more naturally. Uh, they're a little, they're a little bigger and a little more naturally strong. So, but again, Johnson's a strong guy as well. Uh, he is also based on the tape. What I look at, he's not a guy that bends especially well. He's a little stiff, and that's the same problem, by the way, that Genarius and and Kando had in terms of their ability to dip their shoulder to get their hips low and and bend the edge uh, with 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 their flexibility. He's a little bit a little bit stiff, but he makes up for that for the most part with his explosion. And that's where, that's really where he, he gets his, he makes his hay is with that explosiveness. So that's going to be something that during the off season, I mean, he's going to be on campus immediately. And during the off season, that's going to be something that they're going to have to really focus on with him, getting him running the hoop and getting him doing some stuff in the, uh, in the off season to get a little bit better on the bend side. And then you're looking at, at really having a plus uh, pass rusher. But the big thing is, Uh, you're again, what you're looking at is a pretty comparable talent to what they had on the, on the edge, but a significant upgrade in terms of fit, a significant upgrade in terms of how he fits in what they want to do defensively because of his ability to drop and do some of the things that they want to do a little bit more naturally. And he was already doing a lot of that stuff at UGA. So not, he was not UGA's best edge. Uh, he, he had fallen behind a better pass rusher there. But he's a guy that gives Florida State a major, major. Uh, he fills a major need at that fox position on the edge that uh, that they that they were in desperate need of. Especially since Kendo and Genarius Robinson have just turned pro, and you know, you might ask the question of like, but they weren't that good. Yeah, that's true, but they are freaks. If you've ever been in the presence of these guys. That's what they make football play like if they made football players in a lab, they'd look like those guys. And as such, they're they're gonna get a, a very long look from NFL brass that are gonna go, Yeah, you know, four defenses in four years for these guys, uh asked to play positions that you know, play do things that wasn't as natural to their skill set. You know, they may and this guy may fit a little better for us. And you think about Genarius has basically for the last three years in particular been asked to play an outside linebacker position in a standing role that doesn't really suit him at all. I mean, he just, he's lost as soon as you have him going backwards and Kando was asked to do a lot of that last year. And you combine that with some of the injury stuff and they're going to have some interesting discussions in some NFL war rooms as they determine where to, where to value those guys. Cause you put either one of those guys into a natural four, three end and you're not asking them to do a whole lot moving backwards, and you know they they could end up being better in the NFL than they were in college, just because of the the physical stuff that they bring to the table as four three ends. So that's a, that's an issue. Now, the, had only one of them gone pro then you basically add Jermaine Johnson to the fold and you put him at Fox and then either Kando or Robinson at the end and let them play more of a natural four, three hand in the ground type end position. And all of a sudden you're better than you were last year where really those two guys were, were ends and they were asking one of them to play Fox. Well now, Instead of just having a, a huge hole at the fox position in terms of fit, they just have a personnel hole in terms of talent at the defensive end spot. So they're going to need to get another edge that can play. And the question is, can they land another body, another edge that can that can do things? And I know that they're going hard after Northwestern's Ekuleota, uh, who's 6'4", 249. He would be another guy that actually, in a lot of ways, would have been would be a better fox than an end. But uh, but he, that would allow. You might actually ask Jermaine Johnson to play some end at that point and treat the end and the Fox a little bit more interchangeably in that regard with a little more athleticism on the field than, than the size that you had with Kando and Robinson. So and they want to get more athletic. That's pretty obvious. So that if you can land Leota, then. You have both edges handled with guys that can rush the passer and and do everything that you want to do in this in the confines of this defense. And so much of what they struggled with this year was was due to just not having great fits at what they wanted to do defensively. And then, of course, since we've last uh, we've last recorded, you also have had uh, Durden, uh, Jaden Lars Woodby, Leonard Warner and Warren Thompson entered the, the the transfer portal. Pretty much all those guys were expected. Uh, you know, you wish you could have kept Leonard Warner around in particular as a, as an extra body on the edge and maybe, you know, maybe develop just a little bit between now and, and the next year, but just for depth purposes, having him stick around, understand him deciding to go somewhere else. But, uh, as far as Durden goes, you're losing one of your more talented guys, but a guy that you probably are not super disappointed to see, to see go in terms of, uh, of culture. Lars would be a guy that culture very high, but just didn't have a great fit in this defensive system Uh, was not, he was kind of a tweener that they didn't have a, have a role for. And so, you know, he's going to go somewhere else where he can be, uh, he can be, he can play a little bit more what he, what he wants to play and and fit a little bit better. And then Warren Thompson, who, you know, brings all the things that you'd want as a wide receiver physically to the table, except for the hands. And, you know, that last part's kind of important. So good luck to, uh, to all those guys as they move on. And as Florida state, moves forward, really what you're looking at on the transfer market, they, they really need another, another edge because of Kando and Robinson turning pro. And, and I look at the roster and I say, okay, who, who do they have that, that you really trust to play end at a level that you want? And you go, well, you know, you put Johnson on one end, whether that's the Fox or the, ed, or the defensive end side. And I think he's more of a Fox, but okay. You put him out there and then who's the other side? McClendon, no. Griffiths, definitely not. Deontay Williams, he didn't really show us anything this year. Quashawn Fuller, he looks better inside than out. DJ Davis, we haven't seen him yet. And if we didn't see him this year, you know. Uh, Curtis Fan, no. You know, then you get down to the freshmen and you say, yeah, they really need another edge. Now, if you put Johnson at the defensive end, maybe you go with, you know, maybe some of the freshmen. Wilson or Peyton come in on, on the Fox side, but then you're getting really small at that point, and you don't want those guys to be day one guys. You want them to be year two guys. So they really need to get another end. They need to add another end in the, uh, in, in the transfer mar- market, and that's something that they're going they're gonna to have uh, to focus on moving forward. And really, again, of the guys that are available at this point, Eculiato would be the most natural fit there. One other guy that they did add in the transfer portal is Jarquez McClellian. And um, and before I do that, I do want to thank uh, my, my other sponsors here. That is Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida. And uh, if you have any need of real estate in either of those areas, give them a holler. They're the best in the business in their respective areas. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered podcast. So, Last thing, last guy we're going to talk about on this episode, which again was focused on the transfers, is uh, Jarquez McClellan, the corner from Arkansas. And and went back and I I took a look at some of his stuff as well. And you see a guy with good size and fluidity, a guy that can play both press and off, uh, but more natural as a press guy. And you're, you're basically getting a guy with a full season of starting in the SEC with OK results. Not great results, but OK results. And you're getting a guy with good size and then good but not great speed. And then I would say good to excellent fluidity. And so you, what you're essentially getting is a solid player who gives you immediate depth and, a, and someone that you can rely on at that position. But not a difference maker. He he did get beat at times, but you're gonna get beat in that conference, <laughs> no doubt, against some of that talent, just like you will in the ACC. But he was not just destroyed at any point. When he was beat, he was he he made guys earn it, and that's something that they definitely could use at the corner position. He's gonna add to that depth and competitiveness at the corner position, and and he will compete for a starting job. Either way, he's gonna see the field. He's gonna be you know he could he could play the third corner role he could play he could be a rotating guy as as a fourth guy there are a lot of places that he can fit but he's 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 going to be he's going to be a good addition uh and they just needed to add again more depth and quality to that corner room and uh and they were able to do that there now again looking forward to the remainder of the guys that they need to do i already mentioned that they need to get another edge so you know you look at they've landed now 3 quality transfers that that's, and they've, they've answered some, they've, they filled some pretty significant gaps in each of those cases. They need another edge. They're going to need an offensive tackle. You know, they could, they could survive potentially without one, but not, not nearly to the level that they want. If they can get a, a top level offensive tackle, then that's, that's a high, high priority. They need a, they need another edge an offensive tackle, and then a wide receiver that can give them uh, something, on the outside right away. And Kansas Andrew parchment is definitely the target there. And he's a guy that would be an upgrade right away. Uh, and would, would walk right in and be a plug and play starter on one side, uh, guy that can make big plays, uh, and be consistent doing them. So he's, he's a guy that would fit really well in what Norvell wants. So he's the, he's the main target there. Uh, and then they're going to need to get a running back from the portal with, uh, with the departure of, uh, of of one of the others that we've not talked about Ladamian Webb having departed as well. They're going to need another portal running back. Uh and there's some smoke about a couple guys, one I don't really believe, one I do at this point, but we'll just go ahead and sit on that for now. Um but uh but I think I think that's really what you're going to what you, what they're going to need to wrap up this the the transfers on the season and that is basically four more is it needs to be the target and that's a wide receiver, another edge an offensive tackle and a running back, and if they are if they're able to do that, then they're you're, they're basically going to end up bringing in six transfers that can help right away. And if you can get a seventh at somewhere at some other spot, maybe maybe one more at one of those additional spots, then you take him if he's elite. But basically, six guys looks to be. I mean, they were initially looking at at bringing in as many as uh, you know into the double figures. Looks like it's probably going to be six or seven total uh transfers for florida state and again the three that they've got so far you expect to be instant impact particularly milton and johnson and then if they can get parchment at receiver he'd be an instant impact guy and now they're looking for another edge offensive tackle and an instant impact running back if they're able to do that then i mean already just adding milton and johnson changes the complexion of next season pretty significantly because of the the degree to which it, it meets some of the uh the holes currently in the roster if they're able to match the final four or five uh grad transfers with similar quality then again you're looking at them becoming a significantly more competitive football team going into the 21 2021 season we're gonna go ahead and wrap there i'm gonna do uh the episode breaking down the the freshman i'm gonna probably end up doing two episodes on that dealing with the uh the 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 early signing period looking at the defensive and offensive recruits there but we're at 37 38 minutes now i'm going to go ahead and wrap it here so thanks again for all who are listening thanks again to my sponsors and i will be back with you within the next couple days The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach and Broward County, and The Unconquered Podcast Shop, which features stickers, magnets, and other Seminole gear. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. Special thanks to those above the bleach numbers level. That is Keith Cheney, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Andrew Garrett, Brian Leninger, Travis Smith, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi, as well as Jonathan Kennedy and Tyler Kashishki. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.